if you're able for the reading of God's word. This is a long one, so it was going to be really bad if you couldn't hear me. All right, today's scripture reading is from Psalm 37 of David. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong, for they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. The Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor and needy and to slaughter those whose way is upright. Their swords will enter their own hearts and their bows will be broken. The little that this righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. The Lord watches over the blameless all their days and their inheritance will last forever. They will not be disgraced in times of adversity. They will be satisfied in days of hunger. But the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastures, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious in giving. Those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be destroyed. A person's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he fails, he will not be overwhelmed, because the Lord supports him with his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He is always generous, always lending, and his children are a blessing. Turn away from evil, do what is good, and settle permanently. For the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever, but the children of the wicked will be destroyed. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it permanently. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks what is just. The instruction of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. The wicked one lies in wait for the righteous and intends to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in the power of the wicked one or allow him to be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will watch when the wicked are destroyed. I have seen a wicked, violent person, well-rooted like a flourishing native tree. Then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but he could not be found. Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the person of peace will have a future, but transgressors will all be eliminated. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lindsay. That was a phenomenal job. (laughs) 
Well, for those of you who are new, my name is Chris, and I serve as the lead pastor here. Welcome to First City Church. Uh, let me just add my welcome by saying if there are any ways that we can uh, bring you further into the community of the church, if there are ways we can answer questions, ways we can serve you, pray for you, uh, we would love to be able to do that. I know our heart is to extend hospitality to you. Uh, wherever you are in your faith journey. So if you're someone who's a confident believer in Jesus looking for a church home, if you're someone who is really questioning what you believe and you're unsure of that, or, or maybe you wouldn't claim faith at all, like, look, wherever you are, understand we want you to experience the grace of God. And so whatever we can do to serve you and help you uh, just integrate further into the life of First City Church, we would love to be able to do that. I have one quick announcement uh, before we jump into Psalm 37. So one of our yearly rhythms is that in the fall, we do men's and women's Bible studies. And so I want to uh, put this on your radar that this fall, we are going to be studying the book of Titus together. So uh, women, the women's study will be uh, September 11th through October 16th. It'll be a five-week study. And the same uh, for men, it'll be October 22nd through November 19th. And so this is a great opportunity, one, uh, to get into the Word with other men and other women, uh, to, to learn uh, Bible study skills, as well as to, to study God's Word in order to experience transformation. It's also a great way to spend time with other people in the church. Uh, we break into small groups, spend time together studying. And so if you're looking for a way not only to grow uh, in your knowledge of God's Word and allowing God's Word to transfer your life, but you'd also like to meet more people and connect with more people, this is a wonderful way to do that. So there are cards at the welcome table uh, with a link to sign up, or you can hop on Church Center and sign up as well. And so we'd love to have you join us uh, for our Titus Bible study this fall. Well, if you haven't opened your Bibles to Psalm 37, please do so. Uh, and the title of my message this morning is Wisdom in a World of Wickedness. Now, let me just say at the outset that the world, meaning creation, is good. Uh, God created the world good. He loves his creation. He cares for creation. He is sovereignly ordering creation. He has not abandoned creation. At the same time, there is much wickedness, there is much sin and corruption and deceit and pride and selfishness in our world that does great damage and harm and brings much pain. And so on the one hand, we, there is much beauty and joy and celebration and things to uh, bring pleasure and enjoy in the world. There are relationships and loving other people and being in relationship with other people. That, those are all vital and necessary and important. So we, there's good, but there's also deep brokenness and pain. And then on top of that, it seems as if wickedness usually gets the upper hand. Like Job cries out in Job 21, why do the wicked prosper? Why does it seem that those with the most success, the most wealth, that it sort of get to the place of higher leadership and uh, influence in our culture seem to be some of the most deceptive and manipulative and outright wicked people in the world? Like, do you ever just kind of consider the wickedness in our world and just like say, hey, I would just love to just kind of back off and retreat, like, like just pack it all in and just like go off the grid? Am I the only one that sometimes feels that way? <laughs> like, are there are times you're just like, I'd love to just build a compound and then just like invite the, you know, like the five people that I really like in life and just say, hey, let's just hang out in this compound and just like block out the rest of the world. Like, do you, ever, do you ever find yourself wanting to do that? I mean, when you look at all of the sin and the pain and the mess and dysfunction, sometimes that would just feel easier if we could just do that, right? Here's the problem. God's word gives us no permission to retreat. 
Like a life of faith is not a life of disengagement from the world, but of engagement. So the question becomes, how do we do that well? How do we engage the world wisely? How do we live in the world, but not of the world? Well, fortunately, Psalm 37 gives us insight into that wisdom. Now, this wisdom is an easy wisdom, to be sure. It is faith-tested and hard-fought, but Psalm 37 illuminates the path of wisdom for us this morning, and here is the truth that it holds out for us. Facing a world of wickedness, here's the wisdom, delight in the Lord and do good. Facing a world of wickedness, delight in the Lord and do good. Now, any good piece of wisdom literature will tell us not only what is wisdom, but it will also tell us what is the opposite of wisdom. And Psalm 37 does that. It starts this way. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. So facing a world of wickedness, wisdom says don't be agitated and do not envy evildoers. So so let me briefly address envy first. So to envy those who do wrong is to look at those who do not follow Christ, who are following the ways of this world, and to look at their lives and go, man, I want what they have. It's to look at the success and the wealth, the comforts, the status, the good that they may be experiencing in life and say, I desire those things as well. Because listen, it is not easy to follow Jesus. Like, like it is glorious and it is good and it is full of life, but it is not easy to follow Jesus. Like, like it requires facing opposition. It requires dying to yourself and denying yourself. It is difficult. The path of faith is hard. And so we can look around at the world and we can follow Jesus and then we can see like, man, it seems like the ones who aren't following you, Jesus, are more blessed. We look at the things that they have and the ease with which they live and we see that the, the, the goals that they wanted to accomplish, man, it seems like they're successful. And so then we find ourselves asking this question, what good is faith? Like, what good is righteousness? What good is it following the Lord if I can follow wickedness and be successful in life. Like, why bother? I mean, do you ever wrestle with that question? Do you ever look at the world and see the success and see that everyone just seems to be having a good time and here you are suffering for Jesus and you're like, what good is any of this? Do you ever question your faith because it doesn't seem like it works? Like, let's be honest. Like, that, that is a temptation for us. It is a temptation for us. It is easy to envy what is going on in the world such that bit by bit by bit we will compromise our faith. And bit by bit we can compromise obedience and we can compromise righteousness. And what's underneath all of that? Well, on the one hand, garden variety selfishness. Like we desire the comforts and the pleasures of this world. We want the status and the standing and the wealth, we, we want those things. Sin has warped our hearts and warped our desires. And so there's just a kind of a garden variety. Our desires are selfish. But there's something more to it. Fear. Like we look at the, those in the world, 
And we see it seems like they have the comforts and the care and the security and the stability, and it causes us to go, Lord, do you care about me? Lord, will you protect me? Lord, will you provide for me? And so there is a fear that we start to believe, and we start to listen to the lie that was first spoken in the garden, that God is holding out on you and you can't trust him. And so our fear and our selfishness leads to compromise. David says, do not envy those who do wrong. That is not the path of wisdom in this wicked world, nor is agitation. Now, the Hebrew word translated agitated is chara, literally means to burn, to burn with anger. It also burns your throat when you try to say it. <laughs> David is, is speaking of an intense or, or a long-lasting, persistent emotional response. Later in verses 7 and 8, David writes this, Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Do not be agitated. Do not burn with anger. Do not give in to the uncontrollable anger that is rage. So David says agitation, anger, rage. These are not the path of wisdom in a wicked world. What do you do with that bit of wisdom from Psalm 37? What is your, what is your response? Does, does it raise any, any questions in your mind? Well, I, I think it should. I think it should. Is David saying that, that we should sort of be stoic about the evil in the world, that, that we should be unmoved and indifferent about the, the evil that we see and the pain that we see? Is he saying, hey, just focus on what is good, don't, don't get upset about all the things that are wrong over there. No, absolutely not. There is a sense in which we absolutely should be angry. Like, listen, when we see the sin and the damage and the hurt that others inflict on people, we should absolutely be upset about that. We should not be unmoved and indifferent about that. Like, we should be angry that babies are murdered in abortion. We should be angry that there is a thing such as racial and economic injustice. We should be angry that, that women and young boys and girls are trafficked. Like We should be angry and upset that our culture is trying to destroy what it means to be male and female. Like, Listen, friends, those who love righteousness, they are angry at sin and the destructive power, the way it wrecks and ruins people in God's world. Listen, God is angry at sin. The, the tears, did you know this? The tears that Jesus shed at Lazarus' tomb, those weren't primarily tears of sadness. Those were tears of anger. What was he angry at? He was angry at the sin and unbelief and death and the way that it was wrecking and ruining people. So if there's a, there's a sense in which we should be angry, what does David mean here? David is not saying never be angry at sin. What he is talking about is when we are consumed and overtaken by anger. Not to be so consumed that we lose control to anger. Not to be so consumed and overtaken such that anger becomes our primary emotional sort of state that we live in. Do not be agitated. Do not be angry. Do not be enraged. James 1, 19 and 20 tells us this. 
My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So both David here in Psalm 37 and James in James chapter 1 warn us of the danger of human anger. And so if you think of anger like the spectrum of anger, like there's a little slice section over here that's like righteous anger. Only a little part is righteous. And why is that? Well, again, because the way sin has twisted and warped our hearts, and so that so much of our anger is born of immaturity and foolishness and outright sin. But closely connected to that, consider what is underneath anger so often. Hurt and fear. But like, think about the times you get angry. How often is it you get angry because somebody has wounded you in your pride? Like, like you can convince yourself you are standing up for what is right and what is good, and that's why you're angry, but really you're just angry because they personally offended you. And so you will respond in anger in order to reestablish a sense of pride, a sense of standing, to, to let that person know, hey, don't you ever come at me again. So we respond in anger out of hurt. Or we can respond in anger out of fear. When we fear we are going to lose control, when we fear that we are threatened by some consequence or some event that we do not want to happen, we can respond in fear. So this past week, I was down in Dallas uh, assessing church planters for Acts 29, and Friday afternoon, I was going to fly back, and so I got a message in the morning that my flight was delayed an hour, and it's like, okay, no problem, it's a direct flight, I'm good, I'll still drop my rental car off at the same time and just get to the airport an hour early, an hour earlier than I was, I was planning on. So I'm like, hey, I'm good, everything's good. So I've never flown out of DFW, and so I didn't really know how the whole thing worked. And so when I got dropped off my rental car, I got on the wrong bus, ended up in the wrong terminal. And you can't just walk to the next terminal, there's sort of a split. So I had to get back on the bus, go all the way back to the rental car center, get on the right bus, and get to my terminal. That took about an hour, but hey, I was still there. Two hours ahead of time, I'm good, no problem. Check my bag, walk up to the security line, and this was one of the longest security lines I have ever seen and I'm like, what is going on? And I look over in the corner, and there is one dude checking IDs. And I'm like, oh boy. So I get in line, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30, 45, and I have barely moved. And I'm going, I'm going to miss my flight. And you all also know how I am with waiting. This was not going well. Fear. And in that fear, I started getting angry and agitated. And so I'm just, you know, I, I keep my fear internal, but I'm, but I'm kind of just kind of rocking back and forth, and I'm looking around, and I see, I'm like, there's all these TSA agents just standing around. I'm like, you come over here and, like, start checking us out. Like, check these out. Don't you see everybody standing in line? Like, I was just getting angry at every TSA agent that I saw just standing there. Then I, I pull out my phone, and I start texting my friends. I'm like, man, the TSA is, like, the worst government organization. It's even worse than the IRS and the Department of Education. So I'm just agitation, agitation, agitation. I finally get up to the guy checking ID, I hand him my ID, take my boarding pass on my phone, I set it on the little scanner thing, and the light shows up red. And he's like, your boarding pass is invalid. And I'm like, what? And I look at it, and I'm like, no, this is, this is the right flight. And he's like, well, what you got to do is you got to go back to the gate and print off 
a paper copy and then come back through. I'm like, no way, man. I'm going to miss my flight. And so he said, hey, okay, just go back to the gate, print it off, and then kind of come through the pre-check, and when I see you, I'll, I'll let you cut in line. So I'm like, all right. So that only added about five minutes to the ordeal. I made it to my gate right when boarding started, and maybe the TSA isn't so bad. At least this one dude. <laughs> but how often is our anger born of fear? We feel out of control, we feel threatened, and so our anger comes out as a way to sort of try to grab control back, to try to deal with that sense of being threatened. It's our defense mechanism against the fear and the threats. And listen, we can have a legit reason to be angry, but so often our anger jumps the tracks just like that because of fear. Are you agitated because of fear? Have you become agitated by evildoers? Friends, there is plenty of evil in this world. Both we see on TV and social media and at a distance, we kind of experience it in sort of this abstract kind of cultural problems going on. And there's also evil and sin and harm and pain right up in front of our faces right up, taking, setting up shop right in our very lives. So whether it's afar or up close, have you become so agitated by evil that you've become consumed by anger? Have you become so agitated that it has transformed your emotional state where you just sort of live in anger 95% of the time? Let me ask you, what is your sort of default emotional state? Like, how hard is it to provoke anger? How hard is it to get anger up out of you? How much of your emotional energy is spent in anger and agitation? Is there any room for things like peace and joy and delight and hope? Or how about this? Do you feed your agitation and anger? You guys, you guys understand that there is a whole market for this kind of anger in our, in our culture, right? Like people get thousands and millions of followers on social media. They, became, they become famous podcasters and cultural and political commentators. They write successful books, all just sort of raging at the culture. And here's what we do. We soak it all in. We'll listen to them because it's a sort of a safe way to give vent to our anger. We'll let them rant. We'll let them fight. I'll just sort of emotionally connect with them, and that, that's how I'll sort of get that out of my system. But all that is doing is feeding your anger, feeding your agitation. Hey, the next time you're feeling overly angry, here's one small bit of advice. Stay off social media for like a week and see if that doesn't help. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. We think our anger is righteous. We think our anger is justified. We think our anger is actually going to bring justice into the world. But what does James say? Human anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Listen, our anger doesn't put more good in the world and pull more evil out. No, it puts more evil into the world. If you think or think, trying to think that you can fix what's broken in the world through your anger. It, it's like picking up a glass and thinking you can break it by slamming it on the ground. It doesn't fix it, it makes it worse. And so friends, listen. 
though we have legitimate reasons to be angry, David warns us against anger and agitation. Why? Because to be consumed by anger is to have your character formed by pride and hurt, not righteousness. To be consumed by anger is to have your character formed in fear, not faith. Because listen, righteous anger, anger that, is, that, that flows out of a love for what is righteous and not fear, here's what it will be characterized by. It will be characterized by self-control, and it will also have a short shelf life. Like righteous anger is angry in a moment. It understands that anger is sort of a, a place that you can kind of hang out for a moment, but not a place that you live. And so it'll stay there for a moment, but it'll pass in order to give way to something greater. Peace, joy, love, delight, hope. And that's what David ultimately points us to. That's really the point of Psalm 37. It calls us away from envy and agitation, and it calls us to something greater, delighting in the Lord and doing good. And here is the key to the wisdom of delighting and doing good. It's trust. It's trust. Listen to what David writes in verses 3 through 5. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in a land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires, your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. Trust the Lord and do good. Delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord and trust him. You see the connections that David is making. You see, when I, when I delight in something, whether it's a good book, whether it's good food, whether it's a sunset, whether it's delighting in my wife Mindy, like when I delight in something, I, I trust that thing. I trust her. I trust that that thing is worthy of my delight. I am saying this is truly good. This is truly worth my celebration. This is truly worth my love and my devotion. And so to delight is to trust. And the more trust you have, the more delight there is. And so friends, listen, our delight in the Lord will be directly connected to how much we trust him. Because again, listen, the way that, that, that sin affects us, like, like we can chase after envy and compromise, righteousness and obedience, or we can uh, chase after uh, agitation and anger. Uh, we can uh, make things, it's, it's a lot easier for us to sort of make the problem worse rather than bring redemption and renewal. I mean, there's so many ways that we are prone to chase after sin, and that is because of selfishness, yes. But as I have said already, underneath all of that, fundamentally the problem is, is we do not trust God. We do not delight because we do not trust. We run to envy because we do not trust. We run to agitation because we do not trust the Lord. And so Psalm 37 over and over and over calls us to trust, calls us to the wisdom of delighting by calling us to trust. And specifically this, trusting that in his power and goodness, God is one going to defeat evil, and he's going to care for, protect, save, and establish his people forever. Let, let me just run through a number of verses in Psalm 37 to show how this theme keeps repeating itself. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. Why, David? For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. Why, David? For evildoers will be destroyed. But those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. 
A little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. The Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. The Lord watches over the blameless all their days, and their inheritance will last forever. They will not be disgraced in times of adversity. They will be satisfied in days of hunger, but the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastures, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. Why does wisdom say not to envy evildoers? Because they're going to fade away like grass. Like green and thriving for a time, to be sure. But listen, for all that success, all that wealth, all that power, all that status, it is going to dry up, empty out, and be blown away like it's nothing. And listen, why would you envy something that does not last? Like, like if you invited me over to your house, you're like, hey, Chris, I got to show you this new kitchen, this new dining room table that we bought. And you invited me over to your house, and I come in, and I'm excited, and you show me this wonderful, big farm table that can seat like 13, 14, 15 people, and I walk up to it, and I'm like, is that made out of cardboard? And you're like, yeah, isn't it great? It's made out of cardboard. I'm sorry, I'll be like, you do you, but I'm probably not going to envy that. Why? Because cardboard doesn't last. <laughs> cardboard is not of value. There's no reason to envy a cardboard table. Now, if you invited me over and you had this wonderful, beautiful, handcrafted by Jake White piece made from oak, then I'm going to envy because that is quality. That is going to last. Wisdom the wise, they chase after what is secure, what is eternal, what will last. Wisdom goes after what will actually satisfy. And so listen, yes, in this life, the righteous may have less than the wicked, but what the righteous has will last. What the righteous have actually satisfies. And the inheritance that the righteous have from the Lord is going to last forever. That's why we don't envy evildoers. And why do we not get agitated by evildoers? Because God is going to defeat them. Their day is coming. Like, does it not seem sometimes like, like the power of the wicked is just so entrenched? Like it seems immovable. Like control of governments, control of media, control of businesses, control of financial systems. Like it just feels like every little bit of power and control is controlled by something that is wicked. And no matter how hard we try to change things, it just seems like it's entrenched. It's like a mountain. It just will not move. Here's what wisdom tells us. One day, that thing that is going to seem immovable, God is going to move it as if it is no, has no more substance than smoke. That thing that seems so entrenched and powerful and we cannot overcome, God is one day just going to go, and it'll be gone. That being true, friends, do you see why it makes zero sense to get agitated at evildoers? This being true that God is going to defeat evil, do you see why it is a waste of our emotional energy to get agitated at evildoers? Like, listen, if God is not going to overcome evil, then get agitated all you want. 
Like if we have no guarantee, if there is no surety that evil is going to be defeated ultimately, then yes, get angry, rage at the world, try to grab for control, let it all out. Listen, if God is going to defeat all evil and he is going to renew all things, then why waste precious life on fear-driven anger? Why not live in the good, in the joy, in the life of trusting in the Lord and delighting in him? Because it's not just that God is going to defeat evil. He also saves and cares for and protects and establishes his people forever. As David writes in verses 23 through 29, a person's steps are established by the Lord and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord supports him with his hand. I have been young, now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. Turn away from evil, do what is good and settle permanently for the Lord loves justice and he will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever. And then David closes out the psalm this way. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they take refuge in him. You know what I love about these verses? The honesty. Like David doesn't deny the struggle. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed. The Lord is a refuge in a time of distress. The Lord delivers the righteous from the wicked. That means the righteous are going to be up against the wall with the wicked bearing down. It means that we are going to stumble. It means we're going to, be, we're going to need to be delivered. Like we're going to face the sin and the wickedness and the pain that it brings. And so friends, trusting the Lord does not remove the suffering. Not yet anyway. But wisdom calls us to trust him all the same rather than running to envy, rather than becoming agitated and fearful, we run to the Lord for refuge. We trust that he will rescue, he will save us, he will care for us, he will protect us, and he will never abandon us. See, David delighted in the Lord because he trusted in the Lord's power and the Lord's goodness. And friends, if David had reason to delight, we have all the more reason like, why can we trust the Lord? Because the goodness and the power of God has been given to us, has been sent to us in Jesus Christ. Friends, when, when you and I were still sinners, like when our hearts were full of envy and anger and selfishness and fear, God in love spared no expense, and he sent Jesus into the world to rescue us. And Jesus, in love, came after us. And listen, the world, the evil, the wicked, those in power, they came at Jesus. And they strung him up on a cross to shame him, humiliate him, kill him, and defeat him. But in the sovereign hand of God, their evil accomplishes our redemption. Because on the cross, what did Jesus do? He took the full righteous wrath of God for our sin on himself. He paid our debt of sin fully so that we could experience the forgiveness from sin's guilt and the freedom from sin's power. And then on the cross, the, the very evil rulers and powers that thought they had defeated Jesus, Jesus turned the tables on them and he defeated them. 
As Colossians says, he put them to open shame and he showed your power is nothing compared to the power and the goodness of God. And in his resurrection, Jesus triumphed over sin, triumphed over evil, triumphed over death itself. And for those who turn from their sin, turn from the envy, turn from the anger and agitation, turn from their fear and turn to Christ and put their trust in him, here's the good news. His victory, our victory. His life, our life. His eternal kingdom, our inheritance. And so friends, behold Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners, now the resurrected and reigning king. See the goodness of God. See the power of God. See the faithfulness of God and trust him. And in trusting him, delight in him. Oh, turn from the sin. Turn from the envy. Turn from the selfishness, turn from the pride, turn from the fear, and turn to Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Drink deeply from Christ in the life that is in him, in the word, in prayer, in worship. Friends, let Christ's victory be your hope. Let his care be your comfort. And let Christ's kingdom be your joy. Is this where you've put your hope? Is this where you've put your confidence? Because listen, if it is, why waste your time in envy and agitation when we have the fullness of life in delighting in Christ? Why waste our time envying the success and the pleasure and the comforts of this world that will just dry up, fade out, and pass away when we have an eternal, glorious, incorruptible, unfading inheritance kept safe for us in Christ? Why waste our time with the spiritual junk food and spiritual poison of this world when we can feed on the life-giving feast that is Jesus Christ and have him truly nourish our souls? Why waste our emotional energy on anger and agitation and fear when Jesus has defeated every sin and all evil? Yes, yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, we are going to face suffering. Yes, we are going to face trial. Yes, we are going to have to die self. We're going to have to repent of sin. Yes, we're going to stumble. Yes, we're going to need grace. We're going to need forgiveness. We're going to be opposed. We're going to be spiritual warfare. Yes, all of that. But listen, Listen to me very closely. Do you know that this part of your life struggle is the shortest part of your life? Like in light of eternity, this part of our life that is struggle, it is but a vapor, it is but smoke. It will be gone just like that. Like look past the moment and see the bigger perspective. Rather than running to envy and anger, anchor yourself in Rest in, trust in the victory that Christ has won, and then let that quiet your soul before the Lord and wait expectantly for him, as verse 7 tells us. And as we wait, as we wait, let us do good. And what exactly does that mean? Well, Psalm 37 first says, turn away from evil and keep the Lord's ways. And so we, we turn from what goes against God's word and in God's character. And so we walk in alignment with God's righteousness and his goodness found in his word. It also says to love justice. And so we don't misuse anybody. We don't abuse. We don't manipulate. We don't lie. We don't scheme. Rather, we love people. We're honest with people. We, we work for their good. But there's another piece here that I, I want to hone in on here in conclusion. 
In verse 21, David writes this. The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious and giving. So the, the wicked are, are selfish and they're deceptive and they're tight-fisted. But the righteous, they're, they're generous with their resources. And here's really the heart of doing good, a gracious and generous disposition. Like envy and agitation, fear, they have a way of hardening us, right? We, we, we get hardened, so we turn inward and we become self-protective and we, we hold tightly to our, our time and our money and our resources, our very lives. There, there's a self-focus, and so it's like this, we just shrink our world and become sort of tight and closed off. But that's the effect of envy and agitation and fear in our lives. So often we, we live closed off to other people. We shrink our worlds. Do we not let the pain and the pressure cause this to happen so often? This isn't wisdom. Self-protection isn't wisdom. Closing off isn't wisdom. Because, friend, when my delight is in the Lord, when my heart is filled with hope in Christ's victory and the peace, I have peace from Christ's comfort, then listen, I am free to turn outward to people. When I am confident in the Lord and he, I am trusting in him and he is comforting me, I can open my life, I can open my heart, I can give of my time and my resources and I can risk. I don't have to be so self-focused anymore. Rather, I can love and serve and sacrifice and give myself so that others may thrive. And yeah, I'm going to get angry at sin. I'm going to have to battle evil. But that does not have to consume me and shut me down because I put my trust in the, in, the, in the victory of Christ, and I am delighting in him. When my delight is in him, when my joy is found in the inheritance that I have in Christ, then I freely and graciously and generously give all my money and my time and my resources. Look, if my inheritance is in heaven, is it in Christ, then all the stuff that I have now, why not just give it away to bless others? Like, I don't need to hold on to it because this isn't my hope. So friends, doing good when we delight in the Lord, when we trust in the Lord, it frees us, it opens us up, it turns our disposition outward to others, and so we're not just avoiding sin, but we're actually working for the good of others. There's a generosity, there's a graciousness about us. That's what it means to do good when we delight in the Lord. And so friends, yes, living in a world of wickedness is going to be hard, but we have an eternal hope. Let us trust in God's power and goodness. Let us trust in Christ and the victory that is in him. And in that trust, delight in the Lord and do good. Amen? Let's pray.